Father, that you are a great provider, taking care of every detail of our lives. And we are confident there's nothing that will separate us from your love. Thank you that every person in the sound of my voice and on the podcast later uh, has an encounter with your generosity that will enable their own generosity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, All right, like I said, I haven't been up here for four weeks, so buckle up. We're going to be here for several hours. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm hopefully it'll be be pretty pretty brief tonight. But I have something really strong in my heart. Um, Paul said in Romans chapter eight, verse thirty eight. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. I mean, that one passage right there should make you realize that there has never been any separation between you and the Father. Never any separation between you and love himself. This love that holds the entire universe together showed up in a human body named Jesus and told us and demonstrated to us how much that love mattered and how much we mattered. You know, there's a doctrine out there of original sin that says you're a dirty, rotten sinner and you have, you know, uh, you have a, a righteousness that is as filthy rags and God turns his back upon that kind of thing. Don't fall for that stuff. It's literally antichrist preaching. It's literally anti-Christ to say that the God who was in Christ reconciling the world to himself was somehow turning his back when the woman in adultery was right there and waiting for Jesus to get done so he could, he could have his holiness intact. No, God's holiness came to us. And it's a holiness that is so loving and so drawing and bringing us into this relationship. And I'll never forget the moment I had a, a radical encounter with God's love and his grace, and the, the, the image was that he had been there all along. Wendy, you said it tonight. He never left. Maybe my face wasn't turned towards him, but that's what repentance is. Repentance is turning towards the face of love and saying, yes, okay, now I know and understand that you will never leave me, you will never forsake me. But I think sometimes we, um, we get caught up in a game of unforgiveness. And what do I mean by a game of unforgiveness? Well, first of all, I mean it's because we're, it's something that we're not supposed to be dealing with. We're really not the ones that are equipped to carry someone else's burden or hold something against someone else. And the first point I want to make, we're in this series called Like a Child. And, um, you know, in this series, we are, we're diving into the parables of Jesus across all of our age groups. And tonight, I want to talk about the, the two servants, the unforgiving servant. Um, and I'll, I'll be real brief with that because I think you know the story. But the first statement I just want to make is that unless you become like a child, not childish, but childlike in your belief, in your stance that I'm loved by God, I'm accepted by God, just think about that that child of of yours that you love so much. You would do anything for that child. No matter 
what they do, you, nothing can separate them from your love. Well, if you're natural and oriented towards, you know, thinking about checks and balances and, and a ledger of rights and wrongs, how much greater is our loving Father never going to leave us, never going to forsake us? And there has to be that childlike stance to just say, you know what, I'm just going to believe it. I'm just going to believe it. In spite of everything I know about myself, God knows more about me than I know about myself. So the first thing I just want to mention is that loving well equals forgiving. We're not going to be people that love well if we don't forgive. And I've, I've, I've held on to unforgiveness and bitterness in my own life in, in many ways, and I'm, I'm tempted to do it to this day. It's something that comes often, doesn't it? Come on, am I the only one where it's, it's a little hard to forgive sometimes? And sometimes it's even the little things, not even the really big things. It's the little infractions, the little slights, the little, you know, triggers that are put out there, and, and we think that we're going to hold on to some kind of offense and bitterness and, and make that person pay a price by us holding them hostage. No, loving equals forgiving. Dr. King said this. He said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And we live in a world that seems graceless. We live in a world where we justify punishing people and tit for tat and eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And Jesus came along and he said, no, no, I'm flipping the script on that. I'm saying, love your enemies. Do good to those that persecute you and harm you. That's hard. That's difficult. But this is the kingdom that we've been brought into. We have been translated out of this kingdom of darkness and into this kingdom of light and love. And hate can't rule. Unforgiveness cannot rule. I think many times um, we, we forget that Jesus really relegated everything into one command. In John chapter 13, he said this, I give you a new command. He literally said, this is it. Here's the one new command. And this just simplifies it for me. Love each other just as much as I have loved you. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know you're my true followers. You know, I mean, people use the name Christian pretty loosely these days, don't they? Maybe they use it to get the right votes. I know of churches that claim to be Christian that are constantly out on street corners screaming at people and telling them that they're going to hell. That is not good news. That will never be the good news, nor is it an act of love. And they'll tell you this. They'll say, well, you know, love speaks the truth, brother. Yeah, well, Jesus is the truth. And Jesus was willing to lay down his life instead of stand up for his rights. So many times we just have to go back and remember this statement that Jesus made. Hey, I'm, I'm going to just operate my life by this one command. I'm going to see, seek out and search loving people, loving everyone the most. In every situation that I'm in, we can't change the situation in the Middle East. We can pray. We can trust God. But your individual actions aren't going to change it. But your individual actions of kindness and loving well in your family, in your job, in your daily interactions with one another, they matter. They matter. People see Jesus because you love well. 
You reveal Jesus when you love well. Mother Teresa said this, if we really want to love, we must learn how to forgive. Again, Dr. King, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. Forgiveness is a demonstration of love. And we need to be quick to forgive. In Matthew 18, this is where we get the parable of Jesus. Later, Peter approached Jesus and said, how many times do I have to forgive my fellow believer who keeps on offending me? He thought he was being generous. He said, seven times. Jesus answered, no, not seven times, Peter, but 70 times seven. Jesus wasn't giving us an actual number there. I mean, let's add it up and figure it out. And then once I hit that, I'm done. I can, I can, I've obeyed Jesus. No, he was using hyperbole. And he was saying, no, it's, it's such a ridiculous number. Let's just make it ridiculous about how much you are to forgive. You are to forgive all the time. He goes on and he said, the lessons of forgiveness in heaven's kingdom can be illustrated like this. And then he goes into the story. So here's the story. There's a guy that owes a debt. Uh, Brian Simmons puts it in the Passion Translation that it would be equivalent to about like $20 billion, an astronomical debt that could never be repaid. And he went, the king brought him before him, and he, and he, he begged for mercy. He begged for his life. He was going to be thrown in jail. He was going to be punished. His family was going to be taken away from him. And the king had mercy on him. This king had mercy on him. And he said, you know what? Your debt is forgiven. Go your way. Well, the guy immediately in Jesus' parable goes straight to someone else that owes him like 20 bucks and chokes him out, throws him in prison, and says, you're going to be there until you pay me back. And basically, Jesus goes on to say, hey, first of all, um, with this kind of attitude, you can expect that you will be treated the way that you treat others. In the story, the king finds out about this, this scoundrel, and he originally goes back and does what he said he was going to do and holds the other one accountable. The big lesson in this thing, the big message in this parable of Jesus is that many times we forget the great forgiveness that has been released for us by our king. When we hold on to these infractions and offenses and these things that many people are justified in holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness. There's horrible atrocities that have done. There's stories in this room right here, right now. I know many of you and many of your stories where, yeah, it's really, really hard to forgive that. And yet, Jesus invites us into this life. He invites us to be something greater than what we currently are seeing, especially in the body of Christ. I, I, I believe in the body of Christ. I believe that the church in the earth, Jesus is not up on the throne room like twiddling his thumbs like, oh, crap. The church in America is so screwed up. Pacing the throne room floor just where, no, he's seated comfortably, not worried about anything. He's like, yeah, I know those that are mine. I know those that are becoming more like me. 
They're all not there yet, but man, they're doing a great job. He believes in us more than we believe in ourselves. And when we change our mindset in this way, we begin to be transformed more into the image of Jesus. We got to forgive ourselves and we have to forgive others. I think the most difficult person to forgive is yourself. You hold yourself hostage for something that you've done or something that you said or something that brings you shame. And, and like the enemy has long left the building up here and it's just a tape recording of your own thoughts constantly being play, played saying, well, you're not, you're not worthy of forgiveness because of whatever it is. I know I, I struggle with this. I'm, I'm hard on myself. I've learned to let go and relax and say, you know what, I'm not gonna be held hostage by my past. Many times when I'm sharing my own story with people, I'm reminded of the amazing things that God has pulled me out of and how forgiveness has been so radical in my own life. This gives me the capacity to forgive others. Louis B. Smeads said it this way, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. Many times we hold on to offense and bitterness, and it's like, I think, I think it's Rick Warren that talks about this. It's, it's like drinking poison, thinking it'll hurt someone else. You're the one that is being held back and held captive by unforgiveness, but love breaks through. Loving well means forgiving well, forgiving yourself and others. In Matthew 6, Jesus himself prayed this, didn't he? When he's in the garden, he said, forgive us the wrongs we have done. When he's teaching his disciples how to pray, forgive us the wrongs we have done as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Brian Simmons in the Passion Translation basically says that Jesus in the Aramaic here was saying, send away the results of our debts, our shortcomings, he used this as a metaphor for sin. The Aramaic can also be translated this way. Give us serenity as we also allow others serenity. There's something about releasing, truly releasing someone in forgiveness, including yourself, that just brings a serenity, a calm, a peace that passes all understanding. And you know, the feelings of forgiveness don't always have to be there. Uh, it took me a very long time to get the feelings of forgiveness for the drunk driver that killed my wife and unborn child. But on the scene, I released forgiveness over that situation. I, just, I believe it was a, a gift of faith. Literally, God just stepped in the back of that police car and said, yeah, Derek, you need to forgive this guy right now. Never saw him again, never dealt with any of the legal issues, all the stuff, I put it behind me. But in that moment, I said, okay, I forgive you. I'm never gonna hold this against you. And the police officer was in the front seat, and I think he thought I was talking to him. I was like, no, no, I'm talking to the guy in the back of the ambulance over there. But the feelings of that didn't come for years. I still work through it. I still navigate that. How many of y'all can conjure up the image of a wrong or an infraction that has been done against you? It's right there, isn't it? It's not hard to call it back up. And yet, in an act of forgiveness, we say, I don't want to lose the peace that I have, so I will release this peace to you as well. When we become 
more like Jesus when we think this way, when we act this way, when we demonstrate love. A little bit of a long read here, but hang with me. It's going to be on the screen. Hebrews 8, verses 6 through 13 in the message paraphrase. Listen, Jesus' priestly work far surpasses what these other priests do since he's working from a far better plan. If the first plan, the old covenant, the old covenant which demanded an extraction for sins, it demanded an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Jesus flipped the script on that. If the first plan, the old covenant, had worked out, a second wouldn't have been needed. But we know the first was found wanting. Heads up, the days are coming when I will set up a new plan for dealing with Israel and Judah I'll throw out the old plan I set up with their ancestors when I led them by the hand out of Egypt. They didn't keep their part of the bargain, so I looked away and I let it go. This new plan I'm making with Israel isn't going to be written on paper. It's going to be, it isn't going to be chiseled in stone. This time, I'm writing out the plan in them. I'm carving it on the lining of their hearts. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. They won't go to school to learn about me or buy a book called God in Five Easy Lessons, they'll all get to know me firsthand. The little and the big, the small and the great. Listen to how we will get to know him. They'll get to know me by being kindly forgiven. With the slate of their sins forever wiped out. By coming up with a new plan, a new covenant between God and his people, God put the old plan on the shelf and there it stays gathering dust. Such a good image for our own past and our own sins to say, yeah, there it stays, gathering dust. God is not counting my past, present, or future sins against me. They have all been wiped clean. Jesus came while we were still dead in sin. How great is this forgiveness? How great is this salvation? How great is this good news? The old plan was only meant to reveal the impossibility of self-righteousness and to point to the free gift of grace. And I love what we're saying tonight. I mean, if grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. We are, we are just drowning in the ocean of grace. You know that applies to everybody on the planet? They just don't know it. Forgiveness is an act that wakes people up to the love of the Father. Jesus said it, forgive us the wrongs we have done as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. So what about forgive and forget? You've heard this before, right? Have you heard someone ever preach? Well, you got to forgive and forget. Um, I was thinking about that today. And I came across this quote from Maria Edgeworth and she said it this way, and then I just had an epiphany. Surely it is much more generous to forgive and remember than to forgive and forget. And then the next thought I had was, do you think Jesus remembers the cross? Oh, I guarantee you he remembers the cross. And yet, what is his choice in that matter? Forgiveness. He chooses to forgive. He is forgiveness personified. So we need to remember 
that this cross is the place of forgiveness, and it's the ultimate reminder of forgiveness. When you're struggling with offense and bitterness, and I know you will, and it's, it's, it's natural. It's okay. We're going we're gonna to struggle with these things. Navigate it. Talk about it with other people. But do so with a mindset to say, ultimately, I'm going to go back to this place of ultimate forgiveness. I'm going to go back to the cross, and I'm going to recognize that not only are my sins nailed to that, the person who offended me. And I'm not going to forget it. Like I said, I, I can conjure up the images. I, I have never forgotten it. And yet the release of forgiveness is so sweet. This is when we are becoming more like Jesus. When we are becoming more like Jesus is because we forgive like Jesus. Alexander Pope said, to err is human, to forgive divine. And I think he was right. I think there's a divine attribute in our own lives. We are created in his image, are we not? All humanity is created in his image, and there's something about somebody that can forgive. I remember, I'm thinking about the, the shooting that happened at the church in South Carolina, and those that were involved that lost family members due to racism and violence and evil stood on the steps of that church, and they said, we forgive you in the name of Jesus. And the media did not know what to do with that. You can't forgive them. Well, we just did. That's being like Jesus. That's being divine. That's tapping into a divine attribute. So here's why I want to land tonight. Jesus said something really interesting on the cross, and I've always wondered about this. He said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And, and my mind is like, they know exactly what they're doing. The Romans are masters at crucifixion. They're torturing this person. They're, they're, they're aware of everything that they're doing. The religious rulers, they, in my mind, they knew what they were doing. But somehow in the mind of God, the God who was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, on that cross, spirit, word, Father, together, the Holy Trinity in that moment chose to say, I'm going to forgive you. Why? Because you don't know what you're doing. And the more I think about that, the more I meditate on that, it's like there's something true in that. Because if the person who sexually assaulted you really knew what they were doing, they wouldn't do it. If they weren't preoccupied with some kind of delusion of separation from love and separation from God, they really wouldn't do it. They didn't know what they were doing. And I think there's a power in that. There's a release in that where I can, I can forgive the most grave thing that has ever happened because I can enter into the mindset of Christ on the cross who made this statement they don't know what they're doing. You guys, this is some deep level loving stuff. But this is where I want to head. This is who I want to be. I'm not there yet. None of us are there yet. We have a whole lifetime to head that direction. And, and maybe we'll take another step tomorrow and then two steps back the next week. But I want to have us face forward in this level 
of forgiveness. Mark Twain said this, forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. Whew. Think about that for a second. Anyone ever felt crushed by somebody? If you didn't retaliate, if you, if you just bore it and accepted it and said, okay, you know what? Fine. Crush away. Anyone ever felt that way where you just, you gave up at some point? You're like, I can't handle anymore. I'm going to go crazy if more happens to me. I think sometimes in those moments of deep, deep suffering, not only is God there with you, he has never left. He is there in it with you and understands what it's like to be you in that suffering. And you're like, well, then God, why didn't you, why didn't you fix it? Why didn't you change it? Why didn't you stop it? Well, I believe there's things that God can't do. We know he can't lie. We know that he honors the free will of all people. The person that harmed you, the person that hurt you, the person that crushed you, ultimately will come face to face with love himself. And I believe there we'll make a decision where they they depart from their delusion. They accept the truth about who they are and who God is. I believe that. I believe ultimately, like Colossians says, all things will be reconciled in Christ. And I don't care how long it takes. But in that moment, I believe that the crushing that's happening to you is, is a sweet smell, like the violet being crushed under someone's heel because it reminds, it reminds our Father what Jesus went through for us. The crushing, the torment, the pain. He did it joyfully though, didn't he? It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Why? Because you were the joy set before him. We have to take this personally. One final thought from Keith Giles, and then I want us just to take a moment and we're gonna receive communion together. And as we do, I just want you to be thinking about Maybe a situation in your life that you need to forgive yourself, you need to forgive someone else. Maybe you need to release forgiveness to God himself. You've been holding him account and hostage for the bad things that have happened in your life as if he's in control of everything. God's not in control of everything. God is loving in everything. And love will never fail. God doesn't control things like we think about control if if he if he does and did then he's doing a sorry job but if he is love personified and the true power isn't control the true power is love then love will never fail no matter how many eons it takes that's my stance listen to this from keith giles if the gospel is about having the right information then being right is everything but if the gospel is about transformation, then being Christ-like is everything. I don't think we're ever more Christ-like when we are loving and we are forgiving. Sarah has forgiven me of many things in our marriage. I have forgiven her of many things in our marriage. If you are married here tonight, you better be good at forgiving. If you are considering marriage, start practicing now. But what a, what a beautiful statement that is. If it's just about knowledge 
and rules and morals and ethics, then yeah, get all the information you need to make sure you're right in every situation. But it's not about being right. It's about being Christ-like. Oh, Lord, help us forgive the way that you forgive. Help us enter in to the kind of life and love that you have purchased for us and brought us into. Thank you.